Ah, gee. Mothers, eh? Um, and what a Bible reading for Mother's Day. Wasn't it awesome? I just think uh, I have lots of complicated feelings about Mother's and Mother's Day, and we heard a bit of that in the prayers, and we've talked a bit about that. It's, it's complicated, Mother's and mothering. Um, so I thought it'd be really helpful for me this morning uh, as a middle-aged white guy to give you all a bit some tips on how to be a good mother. Don't you think that'd be, that'd be really useful? I'm just, I feel I'm channeling my, my white male privilege from my stance to tell you all how to be good mothers. Um, I mean, I wouldn't dare. I wouldn't dare. Um, but I do want to make some points from this and from theology and the Bible and from life. And then I'm really open to a conversation as we go. Um, uh, spoiler alert or trigger warning or something. Um, I found thinking about this really hard this week, and I'm not sure why. Uh, other, mothers, other, other mother's days come and go. Um, but my relationship with my mom was very complicated. You know, she, um, she did the best she could, but as a, a refugee from the Holocaust, uh, she, she had a really, really, really tough life. And that expressed itself in some deep challenges she had in parenting. Uh, so she did an amazing job, but she was also very damaged herself, uh, multi-generational trauma. And so that, um, that's hard for me. It, makes, it kind of makes it feels hard to talk about, which is weird. I didn't expect it to be. And then Margot, we were chatting about this yesterday, and Margot said, well, I don't... Made some comment that got me thinking, actually, mum did okay. And I thought, actually, just listing. So this morning, I just sat down and I listed out all the ways, all the, all the things I appreciated about my mum. Because it's easy to just, the, the painful memories and the disappointments and the losses can, can loom large. And just to go, no, actually, you know what? She did all right. She did the best she could. And just to, to list that out. So I guess I'm saying that if you find this day triggers regret or hurt or disappointment with, with your own mother, just go home and spend 10 minutes just listing out all the things you're really grateful for with your mum. Uh, and like my mum, yours might be dead, but they still you know, live rent-free in our heads often, don't they? So you just want to, just what are the things you're grateful for? Uh, and, and balance some of that out. Um, and then I'd also say if you're a parent, and it seems to be particularly true of mothers, I don't know that dads feel this quite as much, it's very easy to feel inadequate as a, as a parent. And, um, and most most mothers I've spoken to are acutely aware of the ways they have let down their kids over time. You just know you're not perfect. But where I'm hoping you'll get to, we'll get to by the end of this little talk, is a, a deep sense that God's grace is enough for you and God's grace is enough for your kids. Like this side of heaven, no one's going to be perfect and it's okay. Like we can work on it and we can get better for sure. But heck, you're not going to be perfect. Okay, so that's the little... Lord, speak to us now. Amen. 
there is a there's a narrative in our world that Christianity is an oppressive patriarchal construct that is bad for women. That is not true. It can be true in the way Christianity and a Judeo-Christian religion is lived out, but actually I, I'm firmly convinced from my study of history and life and philosophy that, that the Bible itself, from inception through to the end, is incredibly affirming of the fundamental dignity and value of every human being, women and men included, and uh, though, though often the, the heroes in the Bible are men... Do you know what you discover about those heroes? <laughs> They're backed by women. They're all flawed. The only, the only flawless hero in the classic sense is Jesus. All the other men are flawed. And there are women. There are actually lots of women in the Bible, and we've, we often miss them because we jump straight to the big heroes, the Abraham, Isaacs, and Jacobs, the patriarchs, lots and lots of women. And I think Deborah is a great woman. This Mother's Day, I just thought, I want to talk about a woman who is fierce and strong and a leader. And she doesn't get a lot of lines in the text, but boy, what she gets is significant. A Bronze Age leader of Israel. Anyone who says that Christianity is patriarchal, that women don't have equal value, hasn't read Judges 4 and 5. Because you see there, in this con the context is this. Israel has come into the promised land, and they're, they're having a tough time. They keep wandering away from God. So things will go badly for them. They'll come to God and go, oh, help me, God. And God will help them. And then they'll forget God. Um, it's, it's so human. We all like that. It's like, oh, I'm in, I'm like, life's tough. It's miserable. It's awful. It's horrible. Help me, God. And then God helps us. And then when things are going well, we forget about him. And we go, oh, aren't I clever? Look what I achieved. It's like, it's going so well. And then just give it time and, you know, life will punch you in the face again. And then you'll go, oh, God, help me. And that's, there's this cycle. And Israel was doing this as a whole nation over and over and over again. And, and then periodically, the way God would bring them back to himself is he's, he'd raise up a judge, a leader. And, uh, and Deborah is one of those. So this is, you know... Chapter 4, verse 1, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now Ehud, the previous uh, leader, was dead. So they, they come under the control or the rule of the king of Canaan. And Sisera, the commander, um, had 900 chariots fitted with iron. So, you know, Iron Age, Bronze Age, this was, this was like heavy artillery this is i've got the i've got battle tanks and drones and i'm like he's the he's just massively armored and you can imagine well you probably can't but you're a you're a little bronze age warrior with your kind of your spear and your shield and now you've got big you know chariots and horses coming through they're terrifying so he's powerful and then it just says in verse four two words that are just like now, Deborah. Now, Deborah. Okay. That's it's all, it's all the Bible has to say about the role of women in the world. Now, Deborah. So anytime someone says to you, well, and, 
And this may be just an intra-church family dispute, but there are churches not far from us who would want to really limit the role and expression of women's leadership in the church and the use of their gifts and their strength and their fierceness. And any time anyone says that, women shouldn't be ordained, women shouldn't preach and teach and lead mixed congregations, in your head you just think to yourself, now Deborah, now Deborah, very, and of course, uh, that this may not be an issue for you. I acknowledge you. What you really want this morning is just some tools to help you get on with making life work. And so maybe it's just helping me because that's the tribe I operate in. But for us as a church, we're a church that goes, now Deborah, now Deborah. And what does Deborah do? She was a prophet. So she heard from God. She was a woman who was deeply connected to God and brought God's message to the people. To bring them back. To bring them back. I love that. Like, and if you jump forward to the New Testament and the life of Jesus, who was, who, what was the gender of the first person who heard the message about God breaking into the world in the person of Jesus? Who, who was the first one to get the message about Jesus? Mary. And who was the first one to get the message that Jesus had risen from the dead? And who were the first ones who went and told all the blokes that Jesus had risen from the dead? Like women. I, and now, I just go, that's, that's really significant. Ah, it's really significant. The, the message from God, God's communication with us. Uh, is not limited to one gender. God, uh, you know, God is not sexist. He's not sexist. He's like, okay, women, go, Deborah. You're a prophet. Now, there are some who will say that Paul, the apostle, later in the New Testament has some things to say about limiting the role of women preaching and teaching uh, in to, uh, men and uh, leading uh, mixed congregations. And I would say there's a principle in biblical interpretation that is there in the 39 articles, which is the sort of formularies of, our, of the Anglican faith, and it says we are not to read one part of Scripture in a way that is repugnant to other parts. So, so the broad sweep of Scripture from Genesis 1 through into Judges 4 and 5 and, and through to Jesus and in the rest of the New Testament, Galatians 3 and others, the broad sweep of Scripture is this wonderful vision of the equality and complementarity uh, of women and men together. And, and you see that in Judges 4. So I'd say anytime someone wants to limit or constrain the role of women or men in, in church life, you've got to go, huh, what are you going to do with Judges 4 and Judges 5? What are you going to do with the broad sweep of Scripture? And I think then you've got to say that broad sweep is the interpretive frame 
within which we make sense of some of the Apostle Paul's teachings in uh, in 1 and 2 Timothy, for example. Uh, and that's an, I spoke on this years ago here, and that's talks are still on our website um, and we won't go into it now because it's not really anything to do with this but it's important because Deborah she's a prophet and she's a wife I just, she's, why do I say that she's a wife she's a she's a she's married and she's leading Israel spiritually and she's a mother we we think uh, she's a mother of Israel, we'll see. And she uh, is also a military leader and strategist and advisor. She's quite the lady. Like, man, she's like, that's, uh, I, it's very good. So you see, she's, and she's a judge. We, we were going to interview um, someone today who's a judge, who's a woman who, ju who juggles all these things, but um, uh, Robin's daughter, Audrey, is unwell. I thought that would have been really cool to actually, a real-life judge who's also a wife and a mother, um, not a military strategist and advisor, um, but she's doing that. She's judging. She's, she held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. And then she sends for Barak and uh, instructs him what he's got to do to go and free Israel from military oppression. And uh, Barak says in verse 8, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. I won't go. So he says, I need you to go with me. I need you there. I said, well, that's cool. And she says, okay, I'll go with you. But because you're too chicken to go by yourself, you're not going to get the honor of the battle. It is a shame, honor, culture. You go in to fight for honor, and, and she goes, you're not going to get the honor of killing Sisera. A woman's going to do it. Now, the, some commentators think Deborah was thinking she'd get the honor of killing uh, Sisera. If you've got a Bible open, and we don't have it on the screen, you've got to read the rest of Judges 4, because there's another fierce woman emerges in Judges 4. I don't know if you know this story, because it's not Deborah who kills Sisera. In a very Game of Thrones moment, at the end of the battle, Sisera is looking to rest and goes into the tent of another woman called Jael. <laughs> and listen to this. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come in, right in, don't be afraid. So, she ent so he entered her tent and she covered him with a blanket. Sounds oh, it's all lovely. She's feminine and caring and nurturing, just lovely. Uh, and then, uh, and then he says, um, "I'm thirsty. Please give me some water." And because she's a gentle, caring, feminine, nurturing woman, she opens a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. Like he's really, she's doing what she's asked, right? She's very submissive here, right? very, very impressive. Exactly what every man wants, right? Um, if someone comes by and asks you, is there any, anyone in there, say no. So will you lie for me and protect me, JL? Um, so he nods off because he's tired from fighting all day. 
Oh, there we go. You've got it up. Oh, good on you, Jan. You couldn't miss this. But Jael, Hebo's wife, picked up a tent, <laughs> picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. It's very Game of Thrones, isn't it? It's just like, that's brutal, man. It's gentle, submissive, I'll do whatever you want, I'll lie for you, I'll impale you on a tent peg. I just thought, man, women can be fierce. And uh, it's just the way God's made us. I think there's... so. Uh, Bit of a warning. I'm going on a bit of a philosophical excursus now. Um, our understandings of gender and how we relate can be complicated and confused. So, uh, and uh, and in our contemporary debate, particularly on the left, but also on the right, but largely on the left, no one can accuse our current left progressive world of being consistent when it comes to thinking about gender relations. And, and let me give you an example of some of the confusion I see. <laughs> One temptation is to, is, is to say, um, there's no difference between women and men at all, right? Uh, a, a man can be a woman, a woman can be a man. Uh, there's no fundamental essential difference between women and men. There's, there's chromosomal differences and maybe biological differences, but these are not essential. What really matters is what you feel like, what you think like, uh, what you think of yourself, and this is what really matters, and, and we're all equal. And you go, okay, well, that's, that's certainly one argument that's made. Of course, on the left as well, and then um, really stand, and, uh, you know, the, there are the, the feminists sort of, sort of certain, following on the second and third wave feminists who would argue very strongly, no, 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 women and men are fundamentally different and women therefore need to be treated equally to men. The, the point of their difference is not to diminish or minimize them, but to affirm, affirm that you're a woman and that that's, there's something wonderful and valuable in that. And, you know, of course now the hard, the, the committed feminists and some of the non-gender realist uh, people are fighting and confused about this. And then you, then, then sometimes you have the conservatives jump in and the conservatives go, well, well, of, of course, women and men are equal but different. And so they, they respond to some of the confusion and go, well, well, of course, there's a hierarchy. And um, in, in Christian circles, sometimes it's called complementarianism. I mean, it, it's really honestly just patriarchy rebadged and it says well there's a there's a hierarchy and a patriarchy and that's the way it is and then we try to ascribe different roles to each other this, this is what women should do and this is what men should do and then it all gets even more confused because we've from we have all drunk deeply from the well of a fundamentally Marxist university and a cad academic way of understanding the world, unconsciously we've embraced this. And what I mean by that is the key analysis of society that Marx gave is that we don't exist as individuals. We're to be understood primarily, our identity is primarily 
belongs to the group that we're in. So um, you don't, you're not you as you. You're always and only to be understood as a member of the proletariat or a member of the bourgeoisie, and all of history is about conflict between the groups. Now, feminists took that up uh, and said, well, actually, it's not, it's not class conflict, it's gender conflict, and all of life can be understood as conflict between these groups. And, and you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, uh, no. You're you as an individual. You're not defined by your class or your status or your gender or your biology. Like these things are important constraints. They help make you who you are, but you're you. And God will raise you up and use you to accomplish his purposes in ways that confuse and confound class and gender stereotypes. That analysis breaks down biblically because you have a Deborah who's used by God in ways that were very unusual in her day. And the way God treats each of us is never to reduce us to a class membership or gender as the defining thing. And what that means is, you see, that how God... So, <laughs> it means a bunch of things. One, and this frustrates me with the putting people into groups and the groups are endlessly in conflict and the men are always conflicted by women all women are oppressed by men and all men are oppressed women and while that can be true in the individual level we see in the bible uh we see in the bible that life is just hard right this side of the garden life is war at so many levels we are fighting against evil and injustice. We are pushing back the thorns and the thistles. We are pushing back chaos. And life comes upon us, and God puts us together, men and women together, to work together with our unique individual gifts and abilities to lock arms and push forward for justice and life and love and the kingdom of God together. We're not fighting against each other. The problem with the Marxist analysis of history that, that we have just, un, that just in, and I'm not a, this is not an anti-Marxist rant. I mean, I guess it is. The problem with that analysis is it's fatally flawed because actually throughout human history, you know, women and men get along with each other. And, and in the end, what matters is not giant class distinctions. What matters if you're trying to live long-term with someone, with a husband or a wife or a partner, what matters is, is how you treat each other in the kitchen and in the bedroom and how you battle with each other and against the world to make life work, how you fight the fight of selfishness in yourself to love and affirm the value and dignity of the other. That's what matters. Like class and gender war is actually largely not, tr not a useful way of analyzing or thinking about life it's so much more complicated and difficult than that which of course we don't like we like simple analyses and it's like so deborah and jl and like come on um in in chapter five Judges 5 uh, and verse 7, uh, chapter 5, uh, Deborah's singing. This is a song of Deborah. 
And, uh, and it, in verse 7 it says, Villages in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose a mother in Israel. You, women and men, we're meant to work together and God will raise you up to do what God wants you to do. And sometimes that means you're going to rise up and lead the country into war. And sometimes it means you're going to stay home and change nappies and vacuum the floor. And sometimes it, and that was to the guys. Um, I just think for me life's really pretty simple at one level we, we we're different i'm a i'm a gender realist i think there are clear differences between women and men every cell in our bodies is different chromosomally we're different hormonally we're different um my background's medicine it's uh, the gendered approach to medicine that you know, most medical trials and, and, and research is done on, on men, and we're only starting to realize how different medicines interact with women because of the different hormonal uh, structure and function of women. So we need to understand there are deep, deep differences. And there are differences around personality types. You listen to uh, the, the data is pretty clear by, you know, Women tend to be more agreeable than men on the, you know, on the agreeableness scale. That's just, that tends to be the case. Women tend, therefore, to choose more nurturing people-oriented uh, occupations, and men tend to choose more task-oriented occupations. That's, that's the way it is. And you know what? You go, great. Great. But Deborah, the mother in Israel who led a nation to war, and Jael who drove a tent peg through a bloke's head to help rescue the nation. And so all the stats and the generalizations are great. And you go, yeah, I get all that. And I do affirm that. I mean, that's all cool. But in the end, it's, it's about your life and my life about your partnerships and my partnerships, about how we as a church build a counterculture that values each person for the contribution they can make and then says whatever agency and power and strength and predisposition you have, what, what you've been given those things for is to use them for the good of others. I mean, that's what Deborah did. She used all, she was raised up by God so that she could bring deliverance to the people of God. So I just go, it's really simple. We can talk about statistics and bell curves and distributions of attributes. We can talk about the different hormonal structures and chromosomal differences. We can talk about our different tendencies amongst men and women. But in the end, you've got to love and serve the person you're with. And then you've got to be everything that God wants you to be. And we want to be a church and a community that says to everyone, no matter what, your age and stage of life, no matter what your sexual orientation, no matter what your biological sex, 
or your gender identity, we want to say to you, God has a plan for you and he wants to use you and find that plan. And with whatever God gives you, go out and serve uh, others and change the world, fight against evil and injustice and make the world a better place. And we want to be that. And we want you to do that in your homes, like with kids. It's not that hard, is it? Just go and do it. Except, I don't know about you, I read this and I go, geez, even as a bloke, I feel a little inadequate. Don't you? How many mums here are going, like, she's a wife, she's a mother, she's a judge, she's a prophet, she's a military leader. Ugh. I mean, you guys are doing incredibly well. Like, if you've got little kids, you've got your kids here. And I, they all had their clothes on when last I saw. Like, that's pretty impressive, right? Like, it's not easy. One of the things that women, and it's a good thing, we've been taught that by and large, if you want to do something, you can go ahead and do it. Now, your gender, your, your you know, as a woman, there are things that you, men are more likely to be able to do than you just because they're bigger and stronger physically. That's just the way it is, okay? So I think, by and large, you'd want men to be serving in the special services in the military because they've got to be able to carry a buddy out of you know, a conflict zone on their back along with their packs, and you just need a whole bunch of strength to do that. But apart from that, uh, you, and as I look at your age group, you were probably taught that you can do anything as a woman, and that's a good thing. However, we can feel great pressure. Not only can we do anything, but you can feel enormous pressure that you have to do everything. You know, you've got to then be a perfect mother and a perfect wife and a perfect worker, and you've got to have a career and you've got to have it all. I don't know what Deborah's home life was like. We don't get any insights into that. Her husband doesn't feature, her kids don't feature. We don't know. Uh, you can't have it all. You can't do it all. You can only do what God wants you to do within the limits and the constraints that you have. And the limits and constraints apply to all of us. Men and women alike are limited. I'm never going to be, I'm never going to play in the NBA. I have to embrace the givenness of who I am. You have to as well. Because you see, one of the temptations, you, you listen to a talk like this and you yeah, I can do it. One of the temptations is to put enormous pressure on yourself to define and feel like if I do everything, then I'll, my life will work. And you go, no, no, you receive life from God as a gift and then you do what you can. So here come our wonderful children. And that's wonderful. So um, I don't know if any of that was vaguely helpful to you, but it was helpful to me. And as we go out into Mother's Day, along with my analysis of uh, Marxist feminism and uh, conservative complementarianism in the church, two words to remember whenever you think about your own life and mums and women and men, but Deborah. Just remember Deborah. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, I thank you for Deborah and her life and witness and jail. Glad I, at one level, didn't ever have to meet either of them, Lord, in, uh, in difficult circumstances. But thank you for their lives. Thank you that we can learn from them. Thank you, Lord God, that you uh, 
you call us to love and serve you and work together with you to make a difference in the world. And I pray that our church will be a community where each person in their uniqueness is valued and esteemed and empowered and released to uh, serve you and serve the world. And, uh, and that we'll model for this world the way men and women can work together where the world wants to divide us and turn women and men against each other so often, uh, may we be a community where that doesn't happen at all. And we enter the trenches of life together, women and men, and we raise the next generation of women and men to live well for you. Amen.